3: Follow Transportista, who murdered Captain Coral, on Apple Podcasts. If you can, leave a written review. It really helps other people find our show. And if you haven't already, share it with a friend. Thank you. Warning. This episode contains scenes that may be disturbing to some of our listeners. Captain Humberto Coral Caballero was a proud member of the National Police of Colombia from the mid-1980s. A man who refused to be corrupted, he defended the Colombian state until the day he was murdered on April 22, 1994. The same Colombian state that Captain Coral defended with his life is the one that abandoned his son, daughter and partner. From Exile, Captain Coral's eldest son, Beto, dedicates his life fighting against this and other injustices. In this episode, the final of our series, you will hear a recent conversation between Beto and myself, where we discuss what he has experienced in recent months. His most recent project was the publication of a book. Can you talk to us a bit about this? What, what is that book and how has the public received it?
0: Bueno, el día que mataron a mi padre...
4: Well, the
3: day they killed my father. For the moment, the book is only available in Spanish. It could translate as The Day My Father Was Killed. It came out on March 25, 2023.
0: Es como lo, yo lo llamo el informe independiente de la verdad del caso de mi papá.
4: This is what I call the independent truth report on my father's case. And I say an independent truth report because Colombia created an institution called the Truth Commission responsible for presenting a non-binding judicial report.
3: The Truth Commission that Beto is referring to is the one we discussed in our previous episode. It was created as a result of the peace negotiations between the Colombian state and FARC guerrilla group. The Commission was responsible for investigating among other things the most heinous crimes committed by various actors in the context of the armed conflict in Colombia. These actors include guerrilla groups, paramilitary forces, drug trafficking organizations, and most importantly, the Colombian state itself. This includes the military, the police, and the intelligence services.
0: Entonces, la Comisión de la Verdad Eh, estaba trabajando por recopilar muchos informes, muchos casos para
4: posteriormente... So the truth commission was working on collecting many reports, many cases to later present their final report.
3: Beto identifies himself as a victim of this conflict, so he sought engagement with this commission. And as he told me, he tried to communicate with a couple of its
0: members. Yo los había buscado para que me ayudaran para buscar la verdad del caso de mi padre.
4: I had approached them seeking their assistance in finding the truth about my father's case, but all I received was a refusal from that state institution to help me.
3: In response to the alleged lack of interest from the Truth Commission, Beto took it upon himself to write his own account of the events that he has been able to investigate over the course of 20 years regarding the murder of Captain Coral. This was a final effort to honor his father's memory. Unfortunately, his messages were left
0: unanswered.
4: So, this book is an independent truth report of what happened to my father. I call it the final effort I make to honor, investigate, present, and work on this crime until the very last moment. The state turned its back on me.
3: This is Transportista. Who murdered Captain Coral? Final episode. The state turned its back on me.
5: As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner.
1: Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, was will
5: Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it with.
1: So you ride the books, Gene
5: And we're all too quickly approaching that final destination. Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you
1: get your podcasts. Delve into the visceral world of hip-hop with the gangster chronicles. Aspects the gangster rap boldly addressed, from police brutality to systemic racism, offering listeners a comprehensive understanding of the profound cultural significance this genre holds. Listen to the Gangster Chronicles on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeart Radio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's go.
2: Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily Podcast. We've been with iHeart's outspoken network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke.
3: Beto worked on this book for three years, and before it was finally published, he faced many difficulties. He had to flee his own country and move to Miami, but he didn't feel safe there
0: either. I'm
4: between California and Arizona. It has been very sad to experience the recent events in my life. It has nothing to do with my father's case, but I have to leave Miami.
3: And
0: I wanted to ask you exactly why. Why did you leave Miami?
4: I went through a legal process with the former president of the republic, Álvaro Uribe Vélez, which lasted four years in court. And in order to avoid going to trial, not to avoid being convicted, because I was confident I would win that case, I could no longer bear the relentless persecution of my family and the death threats in Colombia. For them, this issue was no longer about my father. It was a personal matter between me and the former president.
3: Álvaro Uribe, one of the most powerful politicians in recent years in Colombia, personally sued Beto Corral in a court in the United States.
0: Y, y bueno, soy consciente que este señor tiene bastantes seguidores que son fanáticos.
4: Well, I'm aware that this gentleman has quite a few followers who are quite fanatical, and I received death threats from a group of them in Miami.
3: Beto reached out to the authorities in Miami to make sure that those threats wouldn't materialize. Despite taking that step, he didn't feel entirely safe. The legal issue with Álvaro Uribe the influential former president of Colombia also weighed on his mind. sobre eso, qué pasó, de dónde salió y, y cómo va? Uh, could you could you tell us a little bit about what happened, well, where did it come from and how is it really going? Yo decidí
4: un día volverme mi propio medio
0: y hablaba de, de temas coyunturales del país.
4: One day, I decided to become my own media and talk about current issues in the country. And yes, I have taken an anti, anti anti-far-right, anti-Alvaro Uribe Vélez position for many reasons. In my country, I believe that the former president has caused harm. By expressing his
3: opinions openly and being echoed by thousands in a polarized Colombia, Beto referred to crimes committed by paramilitary groups. These crimes were linked to the movement associated with Álvaro Uribe, known as Uribismo. And he began to attract powerful enemies as a result.
0: Impera más la subjetividad que la objetividad.
4: But I'm also aware that in that debate, emotions often prevail over rationality. Subjectivity prevails over objectivity. There is an attempt to attribute to the president some horrendous actions committed by members of the armed forces, where although there may be political responsibility, there is no individual criminal responsibility for the president of the republic. But in that debate, it gets mixed up, and at one point, I attributed many criminal actions to former president Uribe. Beto publicly
3: blamed this former president for his involvement in the parapolitics scandal. In fact... The ex president has been accused on multiple occasions of being connected to these illegal groups. Álvaro Uribe did not take kindly to this, not at all, and he decided to go after
0: Beto. Es cierto que Álvaro Uribe Vélez, inclusive por esas mismas acciones, tiene procesos en muchas instancias, en muchas cortes.
4: It is true that Álvaro Uribe Vélez, even because of those same actions, faces legal proceedings in many, many instances, in numerous courts and tribunals. The former president, with his power, decided to try to silence me, to contradict me, in the Southern District Court of Florida, knowing that I am a political target in my own country. While living in the United States, I received a lawsuit from the most powerful man in the country for expressing my opinions on social media.
3: Beto spent four years in a legal battle to finally, and against his will, publicly retract his statements. He felt lonely, fed up, persecuted, and unsafe. He fled his country after receiving threats, only to find himself in a similar situation in the United States. But now he considers this litigation to be over. Alvaro Uribe and his team agreed not to seek monetary compensation for the damage Beto may have caused upon his opinions.
4: I don't understand what harm I could have caused him. The former president is the most powerful man in the country, and there are even rulings from the Constitutional Court in Colombia that talk about freedom of expression, freedom of information their limits, but also speak of tolerance towards people's opinions regarding those who have governed, who have held power. It's like you calling the president of your country a criminal. It's your opinion. And every day people die due to public policies, indirectly politically responsible. If someone is that person, they could express their opinion. So imagine Andrés Manuel López Obrador suing everyone who calls him a criminal in Mexico. Imagine if former President Donald Trump decided to sue everyone who criticizes him. It's unbelievable what happened, and it has changed my life to some extent. I cannot outright say that Uribe Vélez is responsible, right? That would indeed be irresponsible. He's the former President of the Republic, the leader of the opposition in the country at this moment, a two-time president who has millions of followers. And of course, it is clear that there are many people who support him that would like to see me dead.
3: Beto got in trouble with the former president of Colombia after expressing his opinions through his social media, where he has become an increasingly powerful influencer.
0: Sí, yo al principio comencé dando opiniones escritas. Un medio de comunicación llamado Universo Centro hace unos 12 años. Invito a escribir una columna sobre mi papá.
4: Yes, at first I started giving written opinions for a media outlet called Universo Centro, About 12 years ago, they invited me to write a small column about my father. That was the first thing I did. Then I started expressing opinions through Twitter about the country or the situation in the country. In 2017, I opened my YouTube channel and, well, the first thing I started doing was talking about the history of the country. I love the history of my country. And then I moved on to current affairs. The 2018 elections came and I started giving my opinion on each candidate. And I started giving opinions and the followers began to grow. At first, I saw it as a hobby, and then, after many years, it started to become my work, my job. I have done many things, and I have also exposed many corruption scandals here and abroad, involving the diplomatic team of then-President Ivan Duque, the interference of the Uribe movement in the 2020 presidential elections in the United States. Several things that I have done through my social media— and I have also used them for beautiful and positive things, like helping families who are victims of violence.
3: And the number of followers in his accounts
4: speak for themselves.
0: In Twitter, which is the social media 398,000
4: On Twitter, which is the social media platform I like the least, but it's the most addictive one, I have 398,000 followers. Then YouTube, which is the social media platform where I work. I have uh, 215,000 subscribers. Facebook is like my ignore social media platform. I have almost 400,000 followers there.
3: Some of his most viral videos from his channel, Beto Reacción, where he discusses Colombian politics and interviews guests, have reached over 115,000 views. He considers himself an influencer. However, his relative fame on the internet, and more importantly, his status as a victim and being persecuted in Colombia, have not been enough to achieve something that is fundamental to him in the United States, his asylum request.
4: They haven't even called me. As I told you, I have tried to seek help. We see how this government can help in many cases. For example, last week, Guaidó left Venezuela. Two days later, he was in the United States. And within four days, his family was in the United States. So, if the Colombian government, together with the U.S. government, wanted to help me, would they do it? Would they? Well, they don't do it, not because they don't want to, but simply because I am nobody. And that's the only thing that has happened. Eight years without seeing my mom. Eight years without embracing them. A week ago, my grandmother passed away. My father's mother, one of the main characters in this story. And I couldn't say goodbye to her. I have also lost an uncle whom I love very much. Well, I have lived with death a lot in my life. And as you know, when they killed my father, my grandfather on my father's side died four years later. Then an uncle took care of me, and that uncle also passed away. Then another uncle remained, and my uncle died during the pandemic. Not because of COVID, but due to a traffic accident. I have tried to find lawyers to see if they can help me with a humanitarian visa for my mom because, well, I'm afraid she might die. And I'm tired of knowing that my family is dying. And I can even say goodbye to them as if I were a criminal, a delinquent who fled the country and doesn't even have the right to have a migratory status. That has been tough for me. Many times I have felt like going back to Colombia, but then what will I return to? I would be losing 8 years of my life here, waiting for something that never came. And I don't know if it would ever come. Just keep waiting."
3: If he returns to Colombia, he also puts his life in danger. But even if he tries to meet his mother in a third country, like Mexico, he knows that if he leaves the United States to visit her, he could face potential deportation upon his return. Uh, And your children?
0: Have you been able to see them? Yes, thank God.
4: Menos a Juan Ángel. Yes, thank God. Except for Juan Ángel, the oldest. But the little one, yes. I would also like to see my eldest son. But I haven't been able to because he doesn't have a visa. The little one does have a visa.
3: Nevertheless, Beto remains undeterred. He knows that the publication of his book... Is just one step towards achieving something greater. After this significant milestone, he wants to
4: to achieve recognition for my mom because they left her without a pension, without anything. She has the right to a dignified life. She has the right to healthcare. She has the right to her pension. She devoted her life to my dad. She couldn't study because she had to choose between studying or working. Unlike her, there are millions of women in Colombia, so I'm going to fight for that.
3: But in regards to his father's case, he recognizes that there's very little
0: he can do now. La justicia puede llegar de diferentes maneras, no necesariamente para un caso concreto, sino por muchos otros.
4: But justice can be served in different ways, not necessarily for a specific case, but for many others. As for the material author, may God bless her, because I have already forgiven her. I have forgiven her. Forgiveness is not for the perpetrators. Forgiveness is for the victims. If I hadn't forgiven her, I would still be seeking her not to know the truth, but to seek revenge. From the beginning of this podcast, and as I start this book as well, how I conclude it is... Who asks the question? Who wants revenge? And who asks him why? Seeks truth, seeks justice. Therefore, that chapter of my life has closed. And all I want is to restore dignity to my mother. The life that was stolen from her. The life that was taken from her. I would like her to be partially compensated for everything she sacrificed for her children. She is not one of those they call heroes of the country. I call them martyrs. I simply call them people who gave their lives for nothing. The true heroes, in my opinion, should be alive. Wretched is the country that needs heroes, said Bertolt Brecht. And I'm firmly convinced that my mother's story is heroic. Therefore, for her, all the honor, glory, and dignity. That will be my path. I will do it from a distance. I will do everything possible for her to be recognized for what she was, for what she is.
5: As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner.
1: Gene! Eugene Fodor. Gene, who's we'll it!
5: Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you share it
1: with. So you write the books, Gene. I have a lot of business. I understand now, this a wise man, Mary's a wise woman.
3: Before finishing our conversation, I asked him if there was anything else
4: he wanted to share with the
0: audience.
4: I would like to read the last chapter of the book titled The Lost War.
0: Like the last the titled, the Lost War. Uh, with pleasure, yes.
4: Impunity doesn't mean that someone doesn't pay for a crime. Impunity means that the truth doesn’t exist. I always saw the truth, but I want to break free from that burden, to forgive those who killed my father. When we don’t forgive, we carry a burden that consumes us, and with this final account, I release the weight of carrying in my chest the endless pain of what could have been, but never was. On April 22, 2014, my father’s murder reached is a statute of limitations. There was never a suspect, an accused, an arrest. The night he was killed, a plan was woven to cover up his true killers. One of them was the agent, Luz Maria Arboleda Maso, whom the police protected for many years, and whom my family believed to be dead due to information from the same institution provided by a coroner, which I still don't understand why he lied. Mrs. Arboleda also lied and now allegedly lives in the United States, constantly changing states, as if avoiding something, perhaps her own conscience. Because justice does not pursue her and never will. She got away with it. It hurts to discover how the institution washed its hands and did not accept administrative responsibility for my father's death. They did not want to transfer him. They did not protect his life. And those who murdered him were members of the same police force. There was never a plan to avenge Pablo Escobar's death. There was never involvement of drug trafficking in my father's death, and it was not because they attacked him or robbed him, because it was proven that they did not steal anything from him. Since my father's arrival at the Bloque Búsqueda in January, a hostile environment was created around him. They knew he was an upright officer who could not be bought. They saw him as a whistleblower who always caused discomfort. The criminal plan was conceived in 1993 When a taxi was stolen in the Laureles neighborhood of Medellin. It was carried out on April 22, 1994. That night, my father was cold-bloodedly murdered. He did not defend himself. He did not plead for his life. They didn't care. They killed him with cruelty and efficiency. One of his executioners was his own companion, a woman who belonged to the national police, who, to cover up the facts, delay calling the authorities so that her accomplices could escape. Captain Coral became the trophy for those seeking revenge. In doing so, they protected the lives of others. Undoubtedly, my father was the guinea pig in that macabre experiment called Vengeance. A rifle shot did not kill Pablo Escobar. It was a handgun fired by the police officers accompanying Lieutenant Hugo Rafael Martínez. It is not true that a DEA sniper killed him. It is not true that Major Aguilar fired his machine gun, as the size of the bullet hole, according to forensic examinations, did not correspond to either of those weapons. It is also not true that Pablo Escobar committed suicide, as his son stated. Everyone wanted to be the protagonist. There are so many versions of the events that perhaps this is just one more. But it is not a version that six personal gain like the previous ones. The true heroes are and will remain anonymous. Hugo Aguilar ended up in jail for associating with paramilitary forces to reach political power in the Department of Santander. These were formerly Los Pepes, the same group he helped create. Los Pepes. Those bloodthirsty men who preferred to have the state as an ally rather than an enemy in their anti-subversive fight, which only left massacres and displaced people, were the same ones who founded the United Self-Defense Forces of Colombia. Once again, Medellín was filled with blood because they started killing each other as well. Paramilitarism reached a point of legalization where surveillance cooperatives were created and their legal status ended up in the hands of those very same Pepes. They weave a narrative about my father's death that persists to this day, but internally they depicted and admitted that the enemy killed him. But which enemy? Themselves. Not content with that fact, they crushed my family's determination to seek the truth by inventing the story that Mrs. Arboleda had been killed. Corruption killed my father. He was killed for doing the right thing. Perhaps the perpetrator did not pay for their crime. But they are paying for others. Justice comes in different ways. Maybe I didn't lose the war. They killed what I cherished the most. They killed the possibility of having a family. They abandoned a mother and her two children to their fate. But she didn't give up. She didn't back down. And against all odds, she fought and raised her two children. That's why, if there is a hero in this story, it's my mom, my heroine, the woman who every day found a way to ensure we lack nothing. This is just another story of impunity and desolation. It's one more story among many in Colombia. Before starting this book, I asked journalist Gonzalo Guillén if he would help me write it, and he kindly offered he warned me that no one cared about my story. That's the reason why I started writing it that same night. Perhaps Gonzalo was right, but if you reach this line of this last chapter of this podcast that you kindly offered to tell my story and narrate, it's because it mattered to you. And for that, it has been worthwhile. Thank you very much. Thank
3: you very much, Beto. Really. And congratulations on the publication of the book.
4: Gracias, Álvaro.
0: Muchas gracias a ti.
4: Thank you, Álvaro. Thank you very much. And sending you a hug. And remember, you have a friend here. (laughs)
3: Likewise, Beto. I hope we can give each other that hug soon. Goodbye. Transportista Who Murdered Captain Coral is a production of Exile Content Studio and Detective in partnership with iHeart's My Cultura Podcast Network and is hosted by me, Álvaro Céspedes. Production by Diego Olivares and Álvaro Céspedes with the help of Sabine Jansen, Ana Isabel Octavio, Verónica Hernández and Reynolds Gutiérrez. Written by Álvaro Céspedes. Edited by Carmen Graterol. Fact-checking by Desiree Yepes. Adaptation to English by Magali Stransky. Thanks to the voice actors who contributed in this episode. Beto Corral is Horacio Mancilla. Executive producers are Carmen Graterol, Rose Reed, Isaac Lee, and Diego Enrique Osorno. Sound Design by Gonzalo Messi. Original Music by Sebastián León. Daniel Batista oversees audio at Exile Content Studio. Our executive producers at iHeart are Giselle Bances and Arlene Santana. Research by Meño Larios and Emma Friedland. Production supervision by Julio Gonzalez. Created by Diego Enrique Sorno. For more podcasts, listen to the iHeart Radio app or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. The views and opinions expressed in this series do not represent the producing companies and are solely the product of Franklin Humberto Coral Garrido's own investigations,
5: known as Beto Coral. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elia Connie.